Just remember, kids, everything on the show is parody. So please, don't censor us. Good morning, Gardenia. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Adam versus the Man. We've got a great show stacked up for you today. We got a militarism block. Good news, mixed news, as usual, on Afghanistan. Uh, we've got the first ever drone swarm in action going after terrorists. That's not us. That's just one of the stories we're covering. And we have a great guest today, Mark Eglinton. And and not just, oh, hey, we got a great guest. It, it, it's actually uh, a pretty cool opportunity that we've got here uh, because Mark is uh, John McAfee's official... Well, I'll let him explain uh explain the the uh the exact role but he was working on the book um with uh mark excuse me with john mcafee um and it's called no domain uh telling the story of john mcafee in his own words drawn from hours of conversations between eglinton and mcafee in 2019 and 2020 while he was on an undisclosed location the book provides a startling look inside the extraordinary life of one of America's genuine renegades. There aren't a lot of books that I'm like, ooh, when that comes out, I'm gonna get the audiobook. No, <laughs> but this like this, I'm gonna read this. Um, you know, not just because I mean this is like my friend's message from beyond the grave at this point. They haven't buried him yet, have, have they? No, beyond the grave. That's presumptuous. He's um in some morgue being picked apart, prodded, perhaps cut open, examined for implants, who knows, somewhere in Spain. Um, and we've got Steve Remus in the co-host chair with a comment contest and an upgrade since we missed it last week. Did we? I don't know if I missed it per se. But there's, we, we are definitely in need of a, a an update on Libertarian Party national drama. With that, give us the producer notes. Jim? Good morning. Jim? What's going on? Jim Freedom coming to you live. I'm here. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thanks for watching. You can join us live at t.me forward slash Adam versus Man. That's where you can find all the notes for the show. We got links to everything we're going to cover today. So definitely get yourself involved with that. It's a growing group. So it's all kinds of fun. Uh, Patreon is where you can support the show. www.patreon.com forward slash Adam versus Man. We have one, five, ten, even $50 a month is the different levels to support the show. $10 a month will get you access to what's called the Private Producers Club. It's a Telegram chat that we use uh, for our backstage uh, backstage features. And you also get a link to the backstage to every show in the Producers Club. So you can get more involved that way, definitely. Next, HomefrontBattleBuddies.com. This is the best veterans nonprofit organization running right now. Uh, you should definitely check out the website, homefrontbattlebuddies.com. And always remember that any donations that you send through homefrontbattlebuddies.com are tax deductible as it's a 501c3 nonprofit. So definitely give this website a click, check out all the buttons and donate all of your tax deductible monies to homefrontbattlebuddies.com. Next, we got Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. This is where you can go to check out all the pictures and videos and all the creativeness 
from Gardenia up there on Instagram. You can see shadows of cats. That's a really cool picture. I like that one. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. But definitely check out Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. All kinds of great pictures and videos for you to stimulate your eyeballs with. Uh, definitely check that out. TheCrypto6.com. You heard about the Bitcoin church that was raided up in Keene, New Hampshire. TheCrypto6.com is the website that you can go to to read up all about that. Watch the little video to see what was that happened. You can scroll to the bottom here. There's QR codes that you can scan and donate cryptocurrencies. This button at the top here shows the address where Mr. Nobody's still locked in a cage. So definitely give him a right and uh, let him know you're thinking about him. Let him know you're supporting him and you hope he gets out soon. Lastly, gogreenenergyonline.com is the best website we're sending everybody to that's thinking about doing it themselves to get learning more about solar power, solar power, micro wind power, zero energy homes. If you want to go off grid, you can do so no matter where you live, even in the city. You want to learn more about how to do it yourself, go to gogreenenergyonline.com. And that's what I got. Thank you very much, everybody. I was looking at the wrong camera. Enjoy the show. Have a wonderful day. Nice new framing you've got there, Jim, for your home studio. Let's get Steve up on stage. Co-host Steve Remus joins us from Southern Arizona. Steve uh, has some critical updates today, but you want to start with the comment contest? Get them rolling. So in honor of us doing Twitch and being on Twitch, I want to know uh, if you are an avid video game player still, and if so, which video game is your favorite? And why? Let's to make yeah, it a contest. Let's do, let's do, so let's like, do that's, dude, that's that's just fun. And I'm I'm 100 behind your concept here. This is great because right now we're focusing on building our backup channel on Twitch. So anybody who's watching this or listening to this, even if you don't, even if you're listening to the audio production of the show later, go get on uh, on Twitch, create an account, follow. It's at Adam Kokesh, right? We just we kept it the same as YouTube. Yeah. So. Today, only, and for the rest of the week, Twitch comments only on screen. If you're watching on YouTube, ah, we're going to ignore you. Yeah, just like all that bullshit from YouTube. On Twitch, Joey Lee is already with us. Y'all come join me over at Twitch. All right. Love it. So uh, to make it a contest, it's, it's what's the best reason you know, like anybody can say, I play video games and I play this and I lose my favorite, right? Yeah. You got to have like a really good reason. Best reason. That's fair. And um, right answers and wrong answers. Yeah. Acceptable for this one. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll, I'll probably I'll probably ignore anyone that says like Madden NFL because that's been the same game for like 27 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like that's that's a good criticism of pro sports. You're still watching football? That game hasn't changed in like 70 years. Why the fuck are you still watching football? Is well, it like, time to like graduate to a new sport? Well, so that's why like, you know, I like, I, I prefer watching college football if I'm going to watch any football, uh, especially since the University of Arizona is here and we can drink beer at the stadium as of a couple of years ago. <laughs> wait, wait, you're still watching college football? I don't even count that answer. That game hasn't changed in like 27 years. Oh, it's it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun for me. Uh, like watching, so like, you know, the state of Arizona is excited about the Phoenix Suns, right? I haven't watched an NBA game since like Michael Jordan played. <laughs> but uh, why you gotta hate on people who are still excited about Madden? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a video game thing. It's, a, it's just a video game thing. 
Is that like everybody's like hating on Madden now because it's it's so old? Well, it's it's the you know EA Sports has never put in the effort to try to like refine the game over like you know everyone will be like the best Madden was Madden '99 that was like 23 what? years ago. Yeah, Madden '99. Maybe some people say like 03 or 04, but 99 was the one where they made like a bunch of changes. And then um, now that the NCAA is going to start like paying players. So it should be should be a little more exciting to watch some of these student athletes really get after it for money. Yeah. What do you think the implicate? I mean, obviously, there's like there are direct implications for those of you that don't know. Last week, the NCAA in a major shift in policy announced that they are going to allow athletes to profit from image likeness and branding. Whereas, yeah. and, and it sounds like, well, how did they not do that in the past? And this is the fucked up part and it's old people taking advantage of young people. They say, Oh, well, we have to promote amateurism and being a student athlete, not a professional athlete. So if you're going to play college ball, which is the farm league audition for professional sports where you get the multi-million dollar contracts, you have to suck it up and not make any money from being a, prof- a, a professional level yeah. athlete if you're playing for a college team. Now, this has led to a lot of corruption within college sports and bribes for best athletes coming out of high school and shady deals. But the overall dynamic is old people taking advantage of young people, people who broadcast college sports, fuck ton of money. People who work in the administrations, fuck ton of money. Branding, EA sports, all the people who control those brands and images and the marketing around that fuck ton of money. Athletes get screwed in the name of promoting amateurism. That's changing. So obviously there's like I said, here's what I want to get to the question now. There's a set of obvious consequences from this where you go immediately, okay, branding's gonna be done differently, contracts are gonna be done differently, and this new market's gonna open up. But you were starting sort of starting and I, I had to give that whole background for the audience that hasn't caught up on this, but you were getting at some of the more and, and this is where it gets interesting what are the what are the other developments coming with this so so to tie it into video games and twitch um which is majority of what you know people people stream on twitch is now ea sports will pay for athlete likeness right so these 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 you know randomly computer generated things from like the old ncaa football games where no athlete profit like made any money off of it you know now you can have athletes you know these these kids you know they they can get messed up they can get seriously hurt and in their in their aspirations real quick now they may not end up like completely screwing over their lives because now they're actually making some form of an income well hold on a second you were getting that video game royalties from like games in the past is that already so like right no, now so, so it won't be it won't it won't uh it won't be able to i don't think it's it applies from what i read i don't think it applies to anyone from the past but it's like yeah that's because that know, would be that would be a fucked up crazy knot to untangle not that it would yeah. be unjust but yeah because you'd have to have class action lawsuits by prior college athletes being currently featured in 
stuff everywhere, video games, well, videos. And, you know, sometimes they have like, sometimes they have like those legends, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, you can, you know, unlock like Reggie Bush from his Heisman season or whatever. I, <laughs> I would imagine that they would compensate him somewhat for that. Um, EA is a bad. Yeah, I I agree with that. EA has been notorious for. <laughs> Um, microtransactions in a lot of their games. Um, well, it, it, well, hold on about EA. EA has always had the pre- has been the company that they gave the preferential, uh, you know, professional sports branding exclusive licensing to, right? So it's is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So like they're, EA they're the has like the, the official NFL game, the official yeah. NBA game, the official. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, yeah, right. Back the, yeah. Back in the day, you used to have like you know, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember the company now, uh, but they had like the NFL 2K series, and then that died because EA just like powerhouse their way and, and demolished them. Right. Like it was, um, you know, it's it's it wasn't a very and it hasn't been a very competitive market like uh, FIFA. You know, there's there's. Uh, one other one other soccer or football game whatever you want to call it um and for me uh ea sports fifa because it's so like the lack of progression between the ea games year after year um some some of the some of the other like the other i think it's uefa that their their soccer game is much better as a video game like you know you have yeah, way more, way more controls and way more capturing of like the essence of the sport. Which sure. so for for EA Sports, um, how much of the, like in the United States of of gamer hours do they represent? Oh, geez, it's a fuck ton, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever had the opportunity, but like even in the Middle East, and like you know, if you're going through like the transient places in Qatar and Kuwait, it was. What tournaments are you having? We're having Madden tournaments, NBA, you know, game tournaments. Those were always like the major ones amongst military members was EA games, right? Like, yeah, because the tournament functions. Oh, I remember that a little bit, but I was never. I was like, I'll be here reading something, like, or like this is, you know, sounds like bullshit. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather sit around and watch South Park than play football video game tournaments when I'm in a rock. I'm just you saying, know? I, I won a Madden tournament. It's in the game. So yeah. <laughs> I was that used to be my that and so I was really good at NCAA when it first like came online and you could play online. Like I was stupid good. And then I just I don't know. I guess uh, I guess maybe I grew up <laughs> and now I now I play occasionally like now I play with my kids. Uh, we play Fortnite which is, I mean, I was playing yesterday and I was getting my rear end freaking handed to me, which was not enjoyable at all. It was not fun. It's not fun when you beat the crap out of me, everybody. <laughs> well, I, just, I wonder, like, aside from all the ways that sports themselves are defined by government, you know, stadium deals, legislation, corporatist policy, intellectual property bullshit, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, broadcasting, duh. Uh, the professional sports in the United States is a uh, is it fair to say heavy heavily socialized industry? So you can't get you can't separate professional sports from government. There's no way. 
But I just want to ask, like, all the gamers in this audience who, who play EA stuff in particular, but all video games, like, you play video games from an escape from government? No? Yeah. No? Why does EA suck? Every little glitch you run into in modern EA sports games, correct me if I'm wrong here, resident expert, but every little glitch could be blamed on government monopoly on the brand NFL, NBA, MLB, et cetera, et cetera, that EA has exclusive rights to in the realm of publishing video games. And when a corporation gets to the point of, well, we don't have competition, they don't have to be assholes. They just go, well, we don't respond to customer complaints anymore because we don't have to, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah there's no competition. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody's, everybody's complained about EA for gosh. I mean, at least, at least the last decade and like, and they've been around like more than two decades and you they've can stake for more than two decades. And each year right? You can look and see that they don't, and they have not done anything to like improve their franchise or relationship with the customer. So that's a weird, it's like, yeah, it's like if Walmart just started telling all their customers to F off, right. People are still going to go to Walmart. So like, yeah. So before we, uh, before we jump into the LP stuff, I wanted to go to Twitter, uh, to my Twitter, uh, slash or at Adam Kokesh. Uh, to share a couple of things. For, oh, I noticed, first of all, on my pinned tweet, um, it has been now since June 30th. Um, how many days in June? Do we have a June 31st? No, I think it's June. in June. No. June 30th. It has been seven days since uh, I asked to meet with the FBI, Trevor uh, Colbert, of the FBI Phoenix field office specifically, and they have yet to uh, to reach out to me. More importantly, no, less importantly by far, I, I finally gave up on trying to uh, be nice with Verizon TCC because I got really fucked over with this new phone experience. And, and when I saw the bill on top of it with all these one-time charges they promised me I wouldn't have, I was just fucking livid. So I wrote this up and this is really like this is not even scratch this is this is scratching the surface. Um so I wrote this review Verizon TCC sold me the wrong phone lied about it refused to fix it. Uh I don't, should I read the whole thing? <laughs> it's a paragraph. Seems like staff are trained to lie about deals, phone features and costs. I was told I could upgrade my phone to 5G with just a SIM card. So I bought that before right away realizing that's not a thing. Can you believe that shit? They tried to sell me a, a, a 5G SIM card. and be like, oh, yeah, your Pixel 3 XL 4G will turn into a 5G phone with the SIM card. And I'm, I'm like, are you, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm not a cell phone expert. I don't really keep up with this that much. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way. And they looked it up and reassured me like, no, that's how it works. Here, here's your SIM card. Give us 20 bucks. And it was like. Do you not have 5G in town here? What the fuck is going on? Uh, so they, I, I had to drive back and forth. They're so poorly organized. I had to go back four times for my new phone. And uh, the last time I was there, I had a manager secondhand tell me, we don't care how bad your experience was 
because nobody reads online reviews anyway. So uh, the thing that really pushed me over the edge with this one is that my screen got scratched after they told me they put this liquid hardener on that would make it harder than tempered glass. And it scratched on uh, a, a pop socket on another phone I had it against in my pocket. So now there's a big scratch, like right, right, right here <laughs> in the middle of my screen. And I'm like, every time I see that scratch, I'm just going to repost this review somewhere until TCC Verizon goes out of business because it should, they shouldn't be a company. It's this so, weird authorized retailer thing with Verizon, yep. right? And it's like, oh, Verizon lets us do this shady shit that they couldn't get away with. And it's just shit. I've had good experiences with authorized retailers. Normally, I make it a point to go to a Verizon store directly if I have to deal with them. I made the mistake this time, and they lied to me every step of the way. And then at the end, they they added $200 in one-time charges to my bill and $252 to my monthly bill. I'm like, no, uh, I'm I'm going to stop using phones before I like pay another bill for this amount with Verizon. I will take this phone and walk. I don't know if I could even get away with this. Walk away with it and get a, a SIM card from another another network or something. But this is just absolute bullshit. And I, I ended the, the review. Um, so why do they have... Uh, anyway, we don't care how bad your experiences was because nobody reads online reviews anyway. So why do they have so many fake reviews? Do people read online reviews in order to hold companies accountable when they create business models based on taking advantage of customers because they think they can get away with it? Elena, the manager at the Verizon TCC in Prescott, Arizona, is probably interested in your opinion. And I put their number, 928-227-1032. Feel, feel free to tell her Adam sent you. So, like, I, you know, and, and the crazy thing about the... Like I posted this on Twitter, <clears throat> I posted this on Instagram, and what surprised me was not people g getting upset, going like, "Yeah, Adam, I'm gonna call and fucking tell him to shove it." It was people going, "Yeah, I had a shitty experience with the phone company too, and it just kind of always goes that way." And I'm like, "Yeah, but now they want to bill me four hundred fifty dollars a month to keep my phone service on, like, do I?" And and I don't have a lot of. Not a lot of companies get good service out here in the boonies. I, I feel like I've had to pay through the nose to support Verizon with the better network. But, man, I'm, I'm totally open to options now. Can you do that with the, I'm like, I'm looking at this phone. It, it has a SIM card I can pop out, right? I can just take it to another carrier and be like, no, tough yeah, shit. So, so yeah, it does. Have to be, um, you have to get it, like unlocked by the current carrier i think and then a sim card from another carrier will work but i so it's funny you brought up verizon tcc and you had that experience because i used to be on verizon and when i went in to get an upgrade two years ago i had a horrible experience uh luckily t-mobile works decently down here in tucson <laughs> um but Verizon, the, the Verizon, their authorized retail, who like who they have that contract with, TCC, is horrible. I actually ended up like emailing the the, the district manager down here about my experience. Um, 
I was I was having a total Karen moment about Verizon. So <laughs> did they fix it? Uh, yeah, it took it took like three months, but it was it was a very it was one of those things where I had to keep going back into the store, and then I got phone numbers, and then I got email addresses, and then it was just like finally after three months they were like, all right, geez, like leave us alone. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody wants, so I I mean I hate to try to make this like a bigger deal than it is, and it sounds like carrying out, but there's a business whose model is based on taking advantage of people. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I think it's pretty safe to say, and it's because it's this authorized retailer scam where they, and they treat their employees like shit too. From what they told me there, they get $8 an hour plus commission, and then they get trained how to lie to make sales and they get paid on phone sales commissions. And it's, it's a really, it's a really sad thing and I hate to to play into it at all. And, and I, in a way, like I, it'd be nice if they just said, Oh, you're right, Adam, you know, we're sorry, you know, and we'll, we'll actually take your complaints to heart and, you know, we'll adjust our policies. But I don't know if this company should exist in the first place. Should we, should we make, go, go on a crusade and, and put TCC Verizon out of business? I don't know if that's a, the best well, use of my time, well, but I, I hope people share my review. Actually, I want to ask everybody a favor right now because everybody has a Google account, right? Everybody who's on Google Maps. Go to Google Maps. You got your phone on you there, Steve? Yeah. Look up TCC Verizon Prescott. Let's see if I can do this on my computer. TCC Verizon and there should be a few locations. It doesn't matter. I left my review on all of them just to be safe. Um, but let's see. If you pull up the uh, the Google Maps entry for this and you look up Google reviews, sort by newest. Yeah, your I don't know. I think they cut me out of this. Yeah, they do. I'm, huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't see your. It should see. be there under newest. Yeah. Maybe it has to be approved. Most, yeah, they they shut out. If you, even if you go into all the lowest, all the one star ones, I'm not I'm not in there. I wonder if TCC Verizon is such a, you know, such a big. Yeah. So if you have all and you sort by lowest, my review's not in there. Nope. You don't have it either, do you? Nope. Yeah, it was a one-star review, obviously. Um, and then there's, you know, they, they even got me to write, they ask you to write a review when you get there before they start doing shit. And it's like, if you want good customer service, leave us a good review on Google right now. And that's why it's all these, like, short five-star reviews, a lot of them with no comment whatsoever. I think a lot of them are fake, too. Um, but that makes me wonder... If uh, how would this how would this review get deleted? Let's no. see, because when I sign in to Google Maps on the other account, uh, it, it shows up under my reviews. This is weird shit. 
And I, I mean, I hate to like I, focus in on this little weird quirk that I'm experiencing right now. But it's like it's a glitch in the matrix that I have to I have to resolve, you know, like something else is happening with this. And it makes you wonder if they're. I mean, their whole thing is based on shutting people out. And if everybody said, no, fuck this, um, you know, I'm I'm going to when they screw me over, I'm not going to accept it. Um, You know, maybe. They would change their policy. This part of the corporatist racket would go away. There are a lot of businesses like this. There are a lot of business. and, And it's. Again, it's it's a not a product of the market; it's a product of government regulation, government policy. So yeah, when I do mine, when I do my, uh, when I look at my comment there, it shows up first, most relevant. If I go lowest, it shows up first. Why would it not show up? And it shows up as new. Why would it not show up for you guys? You can't even see my comment there, huh? No. This is how do you do they have a deal with Google that's just like, hey man, if someone puts a really good review in there, you can't. Or is it because I named someone? Well, I think, I think, you know, I think you, I think if you do have a a page on Google, I think you do have the option to review things that are like under three stars or whatever so that they get a chance to respond. Um, Oh, but you know. Everyone's- Maybe they can challenge the review. Huh. Well, we'll see. I'll keep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Maybe I'll call. You know, give me an excuse to call. Every time I see this scratch on my phone screen, now I'm gonna call. I'm gonna be like, yeah, maybe I'll post this review on another TCC or something. Um, but yeah, uh, this would be really interesting if they're. If they're actually trying to censor my comment, yeah, you yeah. can't even complain. I mean, I mean, I mean, like we talk about censorship for political reasons, but yeah, I mean, everything now is so like, you know, even even like car sales and everything, they've tied into like, oh, get a good review on Google and we'll give you like an extra hundred, hundred fifty dollars or whatever. And you're like, or you could just pay them more. So they do a better job, period. But, you know, whatever. You know, I know there's intricacies with paying people more money, but if you have the money to pay someone extra for a Google review, maybe you need to look at your books a little closer. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find out what happened with this. Uh well let's see, what happened if you Google? Why isn't, let's ask Google, why isn't my Google review showing up? Ah, it's like that your review got filtered or removed for violating Google's moderated review policies. Interesting. So this is interesting. The, the the this is a guy. This is uh, from Social Space. Just the first thing. Socialspace.com.au. Why Google review isn't showing up my review? 
so I thought the easiest way to get a simple five-star review on my free Google My Business listing was to ask my partner to write an amazing review. I was wrong. The review written by her was carefully crafted and then inserted to appear on my Google Business listing. I even curated it, but when my girlfriend left the review and logged out, it didn't. It doesn't show up at all and is not able to be noticed on Google Search. However, when she logs into her Google Admin Profile, it shows the review she's actually left. Sound familiar or frustrating? So why isn't my Google review showing up? So small percentage of reviews are filtered based on spelling, grammar, punctuation, but here's why they might go missing. So they don't even tell you. We've got a URL, the person works for you, your same review appears elsewhere online. Oh, so if I left this review on Yelp and then cut and pasted it onto Google or on multiple uh, TCC locations, they wouldn't do it. Um, your number of reviews is unrepresentative or higher than most businesses within your industry. Hmm. You're offering incentives for people who write your reviews. Well, gee, if you're a business, they don't really catch you on that one because that's TCC's policy. You thought hiring a cheap SEO company to post reviews for you might be a good idea. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm going through these. Mm, maybe it's because I posted it on multiple locations or a URL. Let's see. You've seen the same review before. Uh, interesting. Maybe if I, uh, maybe if I take it down, doesn't don't offer incentives for reviews. You thought your SEO. Hmm. Interesting. So even the, the even the Google review process is set up to uh, to advantage corporations, I suppose. Is that fair? Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's sort of like you know nothing on the internet is real. Hmm. Edit your review. I can't delete my review. Imagine that. The internet isn't real. How about that? What a concept. <laughs> <laughs> I even I go to edit my edit my review and nothing's there. Anyway, uh, avoid TCC Verizon as a, it's a scam if you can. Let's see, if I delete all of this and make it a five star review, what happens? You've earned a badge. <laughs> For making it easier to explore the world with Google Maps. Uh, see your reviews. <laughs> I deleted the con I edited, deleted the content, changed it to five star published, <laughs> and it went through. Uh, okay, enough about this. We got some serious news to cover. Steve, you have an update on the LP gubernatorial race in Arizona and some LP national drama, I hope. Yeah, so we will start with LP National. So they are in the process of nominating uh, people for the vacant chair position. Um, the last list I saw had like six or seven names on it. <laughs> so, um, you know, whoever whoever gets chosen or elected, I don't know how, I don't actually understand how that process is going to work, but um, someone will become the chair of the Libertarian Party for less than a year. So 
Um, hopefully, they're everyone that I've seen nomination wise. They they seem uh, they seem uh, qualified, and whether or not that means they're going to be a good chair or not, I don't know. But at least they seem qualified. <laughs> <laughs> how many of how many of them are FBI agents? Uh, probably half. It's my guess. Half, at least half. Can you tell which half? Well, no. Normally, it's the half with good teeth. Because well, the FBI has a really good dental plan. The LP does not. Well, I imagine, I imagine, uh, I haven't looked up some of the names, but I'll, uh, I'll try to find photos of people smiling. <laughs> but, and then let's see, for the only other thing I saw that I know for sure is the Region 1 alternate uh, was elected, and that was Alex Flores from the AZLP. So, congratulations, Alex, friend of ours. There, congrats, uh, Alex, yeah. Well, what whatever happened to the committee? I mean, that's the big news. Is there was a, there was a, supposed to be a committee to investigate what happened with Joe Bishop Benjamin and uh, Gillette Jarvis in the New Hampshire scandal. Yeah. So, from what I see. Uh, there was, um, there's, uh, there's an email regarding the results of who was getting added to the committee. And then that's about it. So they elected Pat Dixon, Rufus Craig, and Joseph Buckman for the committee. And I, I imagine, I imagine they are supposed to start, uh, doing something possibly that's the latest update on that they haven't done anything i mean this should have been this investigation when did they when were they nominated or when were they selected to this committee oh let's see they were elected uh june 28th so a week ago a little over a week ago so well that makes sense i mean it took about a week to figure that out and there was a lot of silly back and forth on the board about it. Um, and then, but about a week yeah. to, you know, gather the documents and release preliminary findings and then maybe another week yeah. to write up a full report. Is that something you would like, I mean, is that being too optimistic? <laughs> I would imagine, I mean, from a, from, from a standpoint of someone who's investigated like business processes and failures and in, in multi million dollar corporations, uh this seems small scale so i would hope that by the end of july but this is also not like an official function yeah, uncharted waters here yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a one-off ad hoc committee to investigate why the chair resigned and to get use basically well the committee has been giving given the equivalent of the LP party's in, internal subpoena power, right? To, to pursue this investigation where yeah, so all official LP communications will be made available and that sort of thing. That's, uh, that's my assumption. Uh, there's not a whole lot of detail regarding what, what they'll have access to. Because uh, a large part of it is in New Hampshire and regarding communications between people inside the state of New Hampshire. So I don't know how much of that goes into, you know, well, can they get text messages or email records without <laughs> having to, uh, you know, 
uh, get get outside sources involved because it's going to be a very short investigation if they can't, you know, see who sent who what and who wanted to influence the the state party in a in a negative way. Unless all of those were official communications, but if they were phone conversations or text message conversations. The only way you can get access to those is through a court. So don't know how well that's going to work. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think, I mean, would you, now that some time has passed um, and, and you, you know, we've all had a little time. I mean, I've, I've, I've with the FBI visiting and uh, John McAfee murdered in prison, I've been a little distracted on Johnny Hurley's case in Colorado, of course, being shot by cops, but um, what did, what did you, what are you looking back now on what happened with, uh, Joe Bishop Henchman and Gillette Jarvis? Have you updated your take on that or what do you think is going to come out of this? So, I mean, obviously what needed to happen happened. Um, you know, he resigned with a very catty email about just, you know, Anyone that's resigned since the the the, the incident, I'll call it the incident. Um, they've 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 all resigned with some like better than thou email, uh, you know, trying to slander and and like slash their way Deflect out. blame. Yeah, just absolutely ridiculous. Super unprofessional. Super disrespectful. Um, you know, if you had been doing a good job as chair and you make a mistake, there's probably some room for forgiveness, but there's quite a lot of people who felt like nothing, nothing good was coming of, uh, what was clear influenced by the national party into a state party. Um, so obviously most people felt like he hadn't been doing a good enough job. And, uh, you know, I think, I think he realized that, but all these like two or three page email letters of resignation are absolute horse crap, you know, like, you know, I'm like, Hey man, I probably have a lot more respect for you if you went, Hey man, messed up, you know, peace out guys. Like, but yeah. that, I didn't need like half your life story about what you did over the last 15 years for the party, because what really matters is what you've done now and what you've done lately. And when you can't, well, so I want to, I want to, so th- what that seems like is a, a distraction uh, more than anything. Now, let me let me suggest why here is that uh, I I mean we we are pretty confident that there's deliberate uh, FBI COINTELPRO type or even just GOP and Democrat infiltration manipulation in the Libertarian Party. They have the money to to get people to dedicate years of their lives in long con infiltrations. We've seen this like with just petty Republican Democrat operatives doing that shit to each other. So of course they're going to be doing it to the LP. Right. And you you just have to be aware of this and accept that that's part of the game. When I see those long resignation letters, like uh, I I read a few, I think you're referring to, including JBH's where he's deflecting blame and saying, like, you know, trying to be like, man, I put in so much, blah, 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 look at I'm the best, and uh, it's uh, you guys fucked me over, and it's really someone else's fault, but I'll resign for the good of the party because I'm a badass. Yeah. Like, it's it's that's the like takeaway narrative, but it's it's couched in this 
like you said, some people want to give their life story and how they came to the LP and how this is such a sad, tragic turning moment for them. And it's like, uh, no, I, I think there's an important uh, part of infiltrators disguising themselves is to wear and, and broadcast strong libertarian emotions. Uh, you know, typical emotions of the crowd or what someone in their situation might be experiencing because it tricks you into thinking, oh, this person, if they're, because if, if someone comes at you being emotional, if someone is coming at you calm and says something fishy, you go, well, hmm, I should question that. Maybe they're lying, right? Because they're being calm and calculated. But if someone comes at you emotional, you you discount that. Does that was what I'm saying making sense, Steve? That if I come at you going, hey, you know, uh, I'm resigning. I'm just not fit for this job anymore. Peace out. You know, yeah. you might be like, okay, well, that's respectful. That makes sense. And you know, may, but you know, maybe that guy just got reassigned by by his handlers or something. It's kind yeah. of a, you might be more suspicious of that in terms of being suspicious of the person making a smooth, quick exit. Whereas if they throw a temper tantrum on the way out the door, you go, wow, well, this subconsciously, I think you're less likely to question their core motives. We have this weird bias built in. It's not weird, but it's just built into the human mind, how we read other people when they're being emotional. And, and raw, if they convince us they're being authentic, we're much less likely to question their motives. And you don't have to be a very good actor or actress to pull that off in a written resignation statement. So I'm, I'm suspicious of all, all that stuff. But hey, give us the, unless you have anything else, uh, give us the update on, on uh, the governor's race in Arizona, please. Speaking of things that I think are controlled opposition. <laughs> so there, there are now four people including me, uh, in the AZ gubernatorial race. Um, the vice chair of the state party has decided to uh, run for governor now. Um, he actually called me a few days ago and asked me to not run. <laughs> so, Who's this? Barry Hess. Okay. Now, Barry, well, Barry Hess, I mean, interesting character. I can't say I know him super well enough to, like, vouch for his soul, but he's been around a long time. Yeah. Yeah, he's been around a long time, Adam. <laughs> you know, okay, so he wants to run. So he's so he's going to run. Him and I had a phone conversation, about a 35-minute phone conversation, where he was uh, very adamant about how he's familiar with playing political games and a whole – it was just a weird conversation, man. It's whatever. I, uh, he, was, he was trying very hard to, to not – so the other person, Bob Baxter Jr., I've never heard of, um, Bill Moritzky is the other person and last person so far. Uh, and I've texted with Bill. He's, he's, he's a veteran. He's, he's, you know, around my age, I think he's 34 or 35. So, um, Bill and I are probably going to get along great. <laughs> um, but you know, so I've, I've actually asked the Arizona LP to set up debates for our primary. That's um, awesome. It's 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 ridiculous that there's going to be four of us trying to compete for four or five thousand signatures each. Um, that's going to be a, it's already a tall task when there's one or yeah. two. Of us, so yeah, well, is there is there anybody uh, running for lieutenant governor for the uh, LP? So AZ doesn't have lieutenant governor. 
Wait, what do we have? We have, it's the attorney. Who's uh, the second yeah. in command? It's yeah. a different. Uh, Is the secretary of state a second in command? So we do have uh, Peter Yeeple. Uh, uh, he's yeah. really the secretary of state. He seems like a good guy. Oh, um, he's oh, Peter's awesome. I worked with him in my campaign back a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and he lives he lives up here in this this awesome neighborhood near Seligman. All right. Well, we look forward to hearing that debate and seeing your thoughts on oh, now, that you, now that you're seeing because yeah, you, you go, wait a second. You have to like and it's a weird thing that it, you, you always catch yourself forgetting. But you, when you stuff like this happens, you always have to look at it going. What's the ulterior motive of the infiltrators? Because this is not organic. This is well, see, not what it appears. And it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about, uh, I was talking with some folks, some other libertarians uh, in Tombstone, I was in Tombstone on July 4th. We were talking about like how like two years ago, like, you know, during the, uh, well, in 2018, uh, you know, almost, no libertarians were trying to run for any office and now suddenly that now that we know that the two major parties have these huge fractures now all these libertarians are coming out of the woodwork and you're kind of like where where did you come from you know where the you know i, I want to know your story but they're also very hard to get a hold of or they don't respond to emails or they don't answer their phone or they don't return text messages so you're kind of like all right, man. Like, I, I, I'm curious as to your motives. Um, you know, and, and I know Barry has been around the AZLP for a while. Um, but it's, it's weird for me that the vice chair of the state party unilaterally decided on his own without discussing anybody, knowing that we already had two people running, you know, felt like he was. Yeah. No, it, from my, my take on Barry, um, it's, it's, more likely that he was uh, convinced to run, you know, yeah. and just to muck things up. And there's all sorts, you know, it's when you see all the possibilities, like, like, I, not, I don't think I've seen nearly all of them, but <laughs> when, when you, when you go, well, things are not as they seem, what are they, man? You could be asking that question forever. Keep yeah. the comments coming, Steve. Let's see if we can get to our military block before the guests. We've got seven fun stories here. Seven stories for seven seals, starting with Israel. Um, I don't know if you want to stick around for this block or just do comments. Up to you, actually. Uh, but the sun, seeking to destroy Israel, uses first ever AI drone swarm in battle to hunt down and blitz Hamas terrorists. With no human input. Israel used the first ever. This is crazy. The drones have no human input, but instead linked together using artificial intelligence to seek out their targets. And the infographic on the article here is pretty cool. Uh, drones, except that it's, you know, death to innocent people and, you know, furtherance of empire, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, so the drones process information from a tower. The operator sends them the mission details. Then they swarm together and organize themselves and will strike a target without needing a human once they've been deployed. Uh, Hamas began firing rockets at Israel after protests by Palestinians in May, prompting an 11-day conflict in which 256 people were killed in Gaza and 13 in Israel. Now, 
every time i mean i i don't know if this rant from me is just so fucking unoriginal at this point that nobody cares but there's something so much more fucking offensive than them just being mistaken and aggressive and idiotic and killing innocent people right like that's 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 one that's 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 one level of evil i mean huge but you know what? Generational traumas, you can make excuses, blah, 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 blah. But when you've got literally billions of dollars going into research from government and they spend it on how to develop artificial intelligence so that drones can swarm targets and kill people without anyone being in their presence, like instead of figuring out how to stop the wars to begin with like hey how do we take these resources and make sure that everybody's fucking needs are met that's insanity and that's 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 a scale of evil that that honestly i can't even comprehend because i know that at some point there are decision makers who control how that money flows and they fucking know and they go oh yeah let's see People are wanting to go to war because their countries suck because of exported American imperialist corporatism. And now they, they have terrorists. And well, let you know what? I think we have more power if instead of solving those problems, we use that as an excuse to spend billions of dollars on fancy toys to kill people with expensive technology. Somebody made that decision. Some groups all around the world are currently every day making that decision. It has to stop. The Washington Post, back to Afghanistan. The Taliban advance is accelerating. Oh my gosh. The Taliban is on the march over the weekend. Its insurgents swept through a series of districts in northern Afghanistan. In desperate retreat, more than 1,000 Afghan government troops fled Monday across the border of the country's Badakhshan, Badakhshan province over to Tajikistan. It was the third such wave to flee into Tajikistan in just three days and the fifth in two weeks in an area that two decades ago was a stronghold of anti-Taliban resistance. Wait a second. How do they get away with calling the pro-imperialist forces the resistance? <laughs> there is so much language twisted in this because they want you to believe that the Taliban is this like freak group of evil dudes harassing, terrorizing Afghanistan. It's like, no, that the Taliban is, is like a lot closer to representing the will of the Afghan people than, I don't know, who do we choose as a, as, as, a, as an alternative here? Oh, the United States fucking military. Yeah, geez. So um, they say the, these are the insurgents. Uh, the, these are the freedom fighters going, yes, we have to get out these red coat loyalists, thousand Afghan government troops who are on the American payroll. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is going to be spun horrifically in the American mainstream media to further militarism and the mythology of Americanism. Oh no, if American troops leave, things go to hell, which means we have to have America, we have to, look, 
see, I know it sounds bad. We shouldn't be policing the world. But if we don't police the world, then the bad guys run rampant. And so they have to get you. It's like a long con of propaganda of like, well, let's establish that the Taliban are the bad guys. And it's like, they're not perfect. I'm not defending the Taliban. But compared to the United States, <laughs> they're the good guys here. Next, from the Daily Mail, Afghan troops are filmed laying down arms as U.S. general overseeing NATO exit says he's shocked by how quickly they've surrendered to the Taliban and a thousand are caught fleeing the country. <laughs> Did you not? Yeah, why are they? He, and, and that he's shocked? This is what you get for underestimating the spirit of resistance and a people who want to be free after suffering under your decade of war. <clears throat> You've asked these guys to stay as redcoats working for you uh, after you leave. And they're going, no, no, they're going to fucking kill us. Your money's not worth it. This is silly. So the Afghan, the Afghan army, and they call it the Afghan army. No, no, it's the U.S. imperialist army in Afghanistan is collapsing ac across the country with videos posted by the Taliban showing troops laying down their U.S.-made weapons and handing over the keys to their Humvee armored cars. And what is the effect of this? I mean, maybe you had some backwater, shitty, tribalist, et cetera, et cetera, government, and... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting distracted by messages now. Our guest is backstage. We'll get to you in a few minutes, sir. Um, yeah. Um, the U.S. left Bagram Airfield last week, its fortress in the country for nearly 20 years, by slipping away in the night without telling the base's new Afghan commander who discovered they had gone the next morning. Now, <laughs> this gets even better. From the Associated Press, U.S. left Afghan airfield at, sorry, U.S. left Afghan airfield at night. I'm sorry, I'm getting, who's texting me during the show? Um, oh, this is important stuff about CalExit. Okay. Um, U.S. left Afghan airfield at night, didn't tell new commander. The U.S. left Afghanistan's Bagram airfield after nearly 20 years by shutting off the electricity and slipping away in the night without notifying the base's new Afghan commander, who discovered the Americans' departure more than two hours after they left. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Afghanistan's army showed off the sprawling airbase Monday, providing a rare first glimpse of what had been the epicenter of America's war to unseat the Taliban uh, and hunt down the al-Qaeda perpetrators of the 9-11 attacks on America. Which gets us to this great next headline from The Onion. Thank you, Matt Baxley, for sharing this in the Producers Club. U.S. quietly slips out of Afghanistan in dead of night. This is from 2011, July 18, 2011, almost exactly 10 years ago. So you're right, this is the joke. This is Onion headline that is now being replicated in reality 10 years later. In what officials said was the only way to move on from what has become a sad and unpleasant situation, 
All 100,000 U.S. military and intelligence personnel crept out of their barracks in the dead of night Sunday and quietly slipped out of Afghanistan. U.S. commanders explained their sudden pullout in a short handwritten note left behind at Bagram Airfield, their largest base of operations in the country. Quote, by the time you read this, we will be gone. <laughs> the note to the nation of Afghanistan read in part, we regret any pain this may cause you, but this was something we needed to do. We couldn't go on like this forever. We still care about you very much, but in the end, we feel like this is for the best. Please just know that we are truly sorry and that we wish you all the greatest of happiness in the future. <laughs> yeah, two quick follow-up military stories to finish off our block. The U.S. Sun, Parapoo Jump. Crazy video shows Vladimir Putin's war dogs parachute into battle from 13,000 feet strapped to Russian soldiers. Hey, hey, government of Russia, did you figure out a way how to de-escalate any of your conflicts or stop killing people with your military? Uh, no, but we figured out how to get armed dogs to jump out of airplanes on parachutes. <laughs> okay. Talk about misplaced priorities. Cool video, though. I don't know if this is a fun or terrifying experience for the dog. I imagine if they're putting a muzzle on them, it's got to be more terrifying than fun. Um, but yeah, trust your owner. He's going to jump out of an airplane, pop a parachute, and then you're going to go kill people with him. Like, we couldn't find a better way to transport dogs no, no, this is, talk about misplaced priorities. Now, one last article in our military block before we get to our guest, VanityFair.com. The only thing I knew how to do was kill people inside the rash of unexplained deaths at Fort Hood. Dozens of people were killed, died by suicide, or went missing from the Texas military base last year alone. What is behind the violence and tragedy at Fort Hood? I would say, well, gee, if you join a murder cult, uh, you might die. This isn't really surprising, but another crack in the matrix, I suppose. A, a, not a glitch. Maybe this is a glitch. Maybe this one is a glitch. They don't want this to happen. But then a, a pressure point leading to a fissure. The system can't take care of the military anymore. And, and now... Um, Active duty suicides, increasingly a thing. Active duty murders, increasingly a thing. Scary times, don't join the military. Serve your country, not your government. And with that, our guest today is none other than Mark Eglinton. I'm very excited to have him on at any time because he's a very accomplished author with some very exciting subjects. Uh, recent books include Blindsided, former Australian rugby captain and stroke survivor, Michael Linog. Well, I should know more about as a rugby, as a rugby story. Um, shortlisted for International Autobiography of the Year uh, for 2016. Heavy Duty Days and Nights in Judas Priest with mu musician K.K. Downing, one of Rolling Stones magazines, magazine's top 10 music books of 2018 most recently reboot my life with time and football legend michael owen 
and uh, lots of award, awards, awards, titles, titles. Very accomplished author, uh, former professional golf caddy. I don't know why you include that in your bio, sir. Uh, <laughs> but he's it's related to his writing credentials, having written for Golf Magazine and Golf Digest. But more excitingly, we've got we've got Mark on today to talk about No Domain, the book uh, he's been working on with John McAfee. And as one of you, one of your tweets that you shared uh, earlier today had had a quote by John about the book. You know, you've got a tiger by the tail. This is an incredible opportunity, and uh, I, I'm excited to hear you know what you've got from this uh, conversation-based book where you're 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 telling it's sort of like you know an assisted. I, I don't know how you want to describe this genre. Forgive my ignorance on the terminology, but in this book, you're covering uh, not just John's young life, but his life-changing LSD experience and um, the, you know, government clearance. They got him working for the CIA. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so much to this story that, that the world needs to know. Mark, thank you for continuing John McAfee's legacy by making sure that his story gets told. Welcome to the show. Uh, I don't have audio from Mark. Is, there, um, is it off on your end? Jim, do you see anything there about uh, Mark's audio? No, no audio. Video is looking clear. Now we got you. All right, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Can you hear me now? Absolutely. Cool. Well, you teed me up really well there. Uh, the McAfee story, let, let me tell you where it, where it all kind of began. And the, right at the beginning, John contacted me and said, would you be interested in, in kind of co-writing, ghostwriting, whatever you want to call it, my autobiography? And of course I did. And we got into this sort of really weird, it started off with Twitter messaging, then it went to emails most of which during the initial page, the, the initial conversation, he kind of abused me a little bit in the nicest possible way. I think he was testing me. Uh, and we arrived at this point where he decided that I was the right guy. Now, I have to say at this point, I knew I wasn't the first guy to uh, have these conversations with John. Uh, there'd been a couple of other people that, had, that kind of tried to work with him and for one reason or other, it hadn't worked out. So I went into this knowing that, thinking this could be really, this could be a nightmare. Uh, but equally, I kind of hoped it would be a nightmare in a way. Uh, and it turned out it was because he basically just laid it all on the line. And we spent eight months talking on Skype almost every day. Some days he was naked. Some days he was half naked. Some days he'd been <laughs> drinking. I mean, it was literally crazy every single day. I never knew what I'd get. Some, some days he wouldn't appear at all. Uh, but as you say, this life, I mean, people, most people only know about the, the sort of recent McAfee stuff. If, if people know him at all, they know him for the, 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 the antivirus, but then there's this big gap of knowledge to what went down in Belize, which is pretty well documented, not all of it very accurately. So there was this whole life to tell and he just poured it out there over, over days and weeks and months. He just talked and this book was going to be his autobiography written first person by me. We had to change that for obvious reasons because of, well, frankly, profiting from crime 
you couldn't release an autobiography in his name or else there'd be problems, uh, particularly given some of the tax issues he had. So we just flipped it. It became a conversational thing written, written in my name. And we went from there. And, you know, I, I never anticipated it having this ending. Uh, I saw a few endings. One of them, the one I thought was most likely was this book would come out. John would promote it when it came out, which he planned to do. He said he'd give me all the support he possibly could. And now we're left here. So on one hand, I'm, I'm very glad it exists or it's going to exist. But on the other hand, a, a much stronger emotion is, is that the guy is not here anymore. I'm still really reeling from this. Yeah, and I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you want to start with this because it's very much a live story as much as John is dead. But because of that and the kill switch and the potential for other fallout from his death, um, I, I don't know. Maybe you want to start with this. Um, you know, do you think John committed suicide? Well, I'm not one to. I'm definitely not one to feed into conspiracies. Uh, I've tried not to. However, what I have said, and I've said this elsewhere, everything that I, every conversation I had with John led me to believe that this was somebody who wanted to stay alive. Uh, not just now, throughout his life. I mean, he's done other things to stay alive. He's, you know, faked strokes, faked heart attacks, evaded law enforcement all over the place, done everything you possibly can to stay alive. And, you know, even you know, just using logic, it just doesn't seem to me like this is somebody who would commit suicide in a prison in Spain. Now, that, that was the thought I had when I knew very little at the time when it happened. Uh, and at that time, I was under the impression that there was a much bigger legal uh, issue for him back in the US than there actually is. Some of the reports said there could be 20 years in prison, could be, could be 30 years in prison. That's just not the reality. I've been speaking to his attorney ever since this happened. And the situation was not as bleak as it looked. And there, there was already legal preparation in place. They expected this decision. This was all a matter of what day it would happen rather than if. And when it did happen, they were going to kick into gear with what they had in, in mind. And one of those was to go to the Court of Human Rights in the UK. John had a UK passport, as most people might know. There were other options. And by no means was it a sudden, this is desperate, I need to, you know, you know, my life is over type of thing. It would have been a year till he left Spain, even if he was extradited. So to, to, to make a very long answer to your question, it just doesn't add up for me. Well, that's that's where we have to... I, I have to say, Mark, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with your language there. And forgive me for being a definitional Nazi on this one. But when you say you're not one for conspiracy theories, it's a crazy conspiracy that government is putting forth to say that John McAfee conspired with all these people to put up dead man switches and to and and with his wife to make it look like he wasn't committing suicide, and then as part of a, what you're saying is there was a conspiracy by endorsing the government story on John McAfee. You're saying there was a weird conspiracy led by John McAfee that ended with him committing suicide in order for it to look like he didn't commit suicide, right? That's a, nah, what, and, that, what and, that, that, and that he wrote a note in his pocket in, in, that, that had something so devious and dastardly in it that he knew that the Spanish authorities weren't going to be able to release a photo of his suicide note. 
Like, no, that's a ridiculous conspiracy. Here, the obvious example is no, the, the simpler explanation is you've got you've got two conspiracies. Either John conspired with a bunch of people to make his suicide look like it wasn't a suicide, or mm-hmm. government conspired to kill him, which happens more often. I'll go for option two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I no, mean, I, 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 should, I should clarify what I meant. When I said I don't buy into conspiracy theories, all I was answering was the part about the suicide. And I was basing that purely on my relationship with him. You asked me if I think he committed suicide. Yeah. I said, based on everything I know, I don't, no. I don't see that. No fucking way. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no way. There's, there's, no, I, I, there's no plausible story that I can see that leads to him committing suicide the way they say he committed suicide. And I don't buy it. I mean, the, the suicide note is meaningless uh, to me. I mean, just because there was a suicide note in your pocket in Spain doesn't mean you wrote it. I know what Spain's like. I mean, all bets are off in Spain. Forget it. And this was this is further enhanced uh, in my mind by the fact that I know that there is no noise or information coming out of Spain at all. Uh, and I, I don't mind making that that public knowledge. There is a lack of communication in Spain. Nobody can hear anything about what is happening. They talked about an autopsy. No autopsy has been done. This is just their opinion that he committed suicide. Nothing else has been done official, and nobody's answering even simple questions, far less anything more complicated. So with that information on your plate, what else are you going to do but come to the conclusion that there's something else going on? Uh, I mean, I know this is uh, – like I, I, you know, John McAfee was my running mate. He was a friend of mine, someone I interviewed. Uh, a number of times and there's I, I am you know more, I was visited by the FBI a couple of weeks ago here you know in, in at our homestead uh, when they, they came up to our back fence it was very weird um, you know I'm I'm a little more in in fear of my life than I normally am um, should I be I mean, what are you? How are you processing all this right now? What are I mean, what are the implications of this? Because if he was murdered, I mean, we know that he was murdered one way or another. That they, someone did it, and they had a reason that extends to you, and that extends to me. Is that is that not far fetched? Well, yeah. I mean. The dead man switch uh, assumes that there is information. This dead man switch theory uh, assumes that there is information to be made available, which would be damaging to people. Uh, I don't have that information, and I think it would be, you know, immediately apparent that I don't. Uh, and it will be immediately apparent in the coming days and weeks whether John did or not. Uh, that part, I just don't have an answer to. Uh, I don't mind being upfront about that. I just do not know. Uh, I couldn't possibly judge what John knew and what John didn't know. All I know is that John had the ability to know plenty of things that normal people didn't. So as far as I'm concerned, there's, not, there's no theory that is, that is wild enough. I, I couldn't rule anything out at this moment. As far as my own position, I see myself as the messenger. I'm telling his life story. Uh, it's a very different position than the one that I was in before his death, let's put it that way, because at that point it was just a celebratory book. It's pretty wild, does lots of great stories, gives an insight into his early life, some of the his sort of honest truths, which he'd never talked about before. 
now, now it's something different. Uh, the book hasn't changed. My position position hasn't changed either, but the circumstances definitely have. So yeah, I have thought about it. Of course I have. Uh, but you know, time will tell, I guess. Your book is transformed by McAfee's death from the story of one tech pioneer turned rebel activist to the story to to the explanation of why government killed John McAfee because I think that's where the explanation is he wasn't he wasn't murdered for not paying taxes he was murdered for being loud about not paying taxes for his belief in their illegitimacy for his helping people uh, avoiding and not paying taxes in their own way and his activism with crypto so what truths he bore that he would bring back to the United States had he been extradited would have been devastating to the system. He could have been, you know, Neo fighting the Matrix, being brought back to have that fight in front of the American people. And instead, uh, now we can kill him in a Spanish jail cell. The timing doesn't make sense, considering he had the even based on the oh he was about to get extradited and upset about that bullshit narrative because he was uh, he had a chance as you mentioned he had a chance to fight all of this so it, it seems to me maybe he was killed more uh because they killed his dead man switches uh but your what what your your story now contains is that message that McAfee would have been brought back to the United States should he have been brought back to face tax evasion charges. And yeah, right now, I mean, that's that message is the one that government is afraid enough to kill over. The uh, I mean, we had this conversation. I mean, I, I didn't understand what the, the mechanics of his... I mean, I didn't understand in isolation what the big deal with the... I mean, I'm, I'm not the tax aspect of it simply wasn't that he didn't pay tax. It wasn't even as as, as uh, drastic as that, is that he didn't file returns. Now, he said to me that that in isolation was something that people were willing to sort of tolerate for a certain period of time. Uh, that was one thing. Where it became different, and you alluded to this a second ago, is where he not only didn't file tax returns, but went out publicly, out with the reach of the US, whether that be in Europe or wherever it was, saying, I don't believe I should pay tax. And if you don't want to, I'm going to show you how. Now, he made no apology in his book that he was intentionally baiting the US with that kind of rhetoric. And obviously it is because that becomes a problem. I mean, not filing tax returns is one thing. That's one thing you'll, you, you'll, you'll pay the penalty for that. But when you're going out there and telling people that they can do the same thing and here's how, that has a whole different level of implications. And I think he he would he acknowledged himself to me that that was the problem, not so much the actual, you know, non-filing of returns, but it was the, the, the blatant sort of flouting of this evasive uh, attitude and offering a solution to it that was the problem. Now, one of the comments we just saw from uh, one of our viewers on Twitch pointed out, that there are plenty of other motivations and one of them said it was because he was crapping on bitcoin 
and that he had actually turned on the original cryptocurrency. This is uh, that bad dude, Corn Pop, on Twitch commenting. I think he was murdered for crapping on Bitcoin, which is compromised now. I believe this commenter is saying that Bitcoin is compromised and it's been taken over by the establishment. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, might might have been from the beginning, hypothetically, um, if they have control over the bulk of uh, crypto or, or Bitcoin on the blockchain, then you could say it's, it's compromised. Is there anything like that uh, that, that suggests uh, a stronger motivation for murdering McAfee than uh, the sort of obvious COINTELPRO type reasons? No, one of the things I've discussed most often uh, with everyone that's talked to me, everyone said, you know, how much money did John have? What do you think he had? You know, where is fortunes? I mean, honestly, I, I've been shot down on this a couple of times, and I don't mind being shot down on it again. I don't think John had any money. Uh, and I think this is the sad reality of it. Uh, and I think he alluded, it, alluded to that himself in one of his later tweets where he said, you know, all his friends have evaporated, all his money has evaporated. I saw him every day for a number of months. We had conversations about finances. We talked about the business aspect of what we we're trying to do. I don't think he had any money. Uh, mm. Now, that's not to say that he might have had stuff in the US. He might still be attached to assets. I don't know the details of that. All I know is he built property all over the world in the sort of mid-2000s. He'd spend $20 million on an apartment in Ecuador that he never sat, never set foot in once. I know he did all these things. People say, oh, the guy had $100 million. We don't know he had $100 million. might have been more. might have been a lot less. I suspect it was a lot more. But if you build houses like that with that kind of money, you go through it pretty quickly. And I don't think when he came back from Belize in 2012, between when he left the U.S. in 2019, he did anything very much to earn money. And it really wouldn't surprise me, and it would be quite a sad end but a predictable end if it turned out he didn't have any money. Well, I don't see least, the yeah. angle as being one. I, I have some personal experience with that because uh, you're right. John told me himself that when he came back from Belize to the United States that he was broke. Now, yep. John McAfee's standard of broke is better than most people live. Let's not we're not yeah. we're not trying to say we feel sorry for, for for John because he was eating spam out out of a can or anything like that. Awakening Bear, why do you think he was safe in Spain? Well, let him there. We'll get to that with our guest here. Um, but uh, he 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 probably had like we say he was broke. It's he didn't have a large pile of of operating cash in crypto wallets or in bank accounts. But he, he always had yeah. operational funds. He was always able to use his name, to use his Twitter following, to, to play off that. He was always able to make some money and, or in consulting or with friends. And, you know, you know when he says he had friends, like I was always – I never abandoned him. Uh, but I was never someone hooking him up with money in the first place or any kind of business deals because my relationship with him was purely as, as friends and political allies. Uh, but when he was on the run, I, I mean, when you say he was broke, I, I kind of agree with that, with your assessment, with my co definitional caveats. But I, I would suggest he probably had um, a few safe stashes around the world. 
you know, $10,000 here or there, things like that. Not a million hiding. He didn't have like a pirate's chest full of gold somewhere that, you know, he had squirreled away. But he probably had a lot of, uh, a, a, you know, little, thi- you know, things that he could tap scattered around the world if he needed. No? Is that, is that a fair assessment? Mark, are there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you're you're you might be overstating it more than I believe. I, I you, you talk about how you probably had access to Operation. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Go for it. Yep. Just a lag. Yeah. Sorry. Just a lag. Yeah. No. I I I think you're overstating the operational cash. I think he was down to nothing. Uh, and the reason I do is because he he sent me an email at one point and said, you know, I'd like this to be the forward in our book. And it was a letter uh, which basically explained how somebody had taken care of him. And without this person, he would simply wouldn't have been able to function on the run and in hiding. Mm-hmm. And that uh, any any proceeds from that book, and this is, isn't the book that we have now because he, there are no proceeds, but any proceeds he wanted to go to that person who he didn't name, I genuinely think he was on what we would say in Scotland, the, the bare bones of his arse. I think he was down to nothing. I think he'd probably exhausted all his relationships. I think he was probably, you know, as he said, people have, had evaporated because of his, his his sort of image and his situation. I just don't think he was finding these opportunities for consultancy anymore. And I think he, he'd probably hit rock bottom. As sad as that is to say, I think that's the case. Yeah. No, well, I, I rock bottom for John McAfee. It's still pretty good for by, by by most people's standards. So you say this isn't the book that we have now. What is the book that you have now? What are you hoping to do to accomplish with this other than um, release it without getting murdered yourself? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I was fascinated by John's life from day one, uh, not just the, the sort of later McAfee life, I was interested in the, the the life he lived before McAfee Associates. Nobody knows anything about it. People just assumed that this was a guy that wanted to be a big sort of corporate, uh, sort of Bill Gates or something like that character. John never wanted that. John, I mean, McAfee uh, as a company was an accident. He was in, a, in his sitting room in Santa Clara identifying that people were coming up with viruses. And he thought, well, I can fix those. At no point did he want to sit in a boardroom. At no point did he, I mean, he obviously wanted to make money, but he didn't want that corporate life. And I think what I would say about this book more than anything is that I think we all identify with this kind of uh, itinerant life where basically you can do anything you want. You can just bounce around like a pinball. You can be blown by the wind. You can basically live the life you want to live in its purest form. I think all of us really are drawn to that idea. Now, to go back to one of your caveats that you made earlier, that kind of lifestyle is a lot easier if you've got $100 million in the bank. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it, If you and I tried to, to live that kind of lifestyle, we'd probably be on the, on the street. But mm. he could do that, and he did do that. And a lot of these stories that he told me about were, were really nuanced studies of human nature, of him going to Brazil, of him going to Germany, working in different kind of roles in consultancy. And it was all this trajectory that took him to the point where he got to McAfee. He got to McAfee, company got huge, they got floated. Everyone says, oh, yeah, John sold his share. 
John didn't sell his share. He just walked away. He took what was due to him from the flotation and he walked away. There was never any conversation. No, I'm selling out. He never got into anything with the board members. He just left. And he left because he just wanted to do nothing with his life. And at that time, nothing meant buying jet skis, going on yachting trips, buying houses in Colorado for you know, $10 million, buying other houses elsewhere. There was just no direction. There was never a plan. And he never had one. And I think that's what fascinated me. And that this book is just that, that kind of story. And obviously, in the midst of it, there's a load of drugs. There's some absolutely outrageous <laughs> stuff that makes, makes Hunter S. Thompson look something yeah, like Charlie So, I mean, roll it all together. You've got an incredible life. Uh, and then you, you've not even got to believe at that point, which gets just crazier still. So, I mean, people ask me, what is this? And I say it's the craziest life ever lived by anybody. I can't, I can't think of anyone who's done it like this. Now, there's <laughs> so you have a unique insight into one of McAfee's defining features. Uh, I like to say that there used to be a fine line between genius and insanity until John McAfee came and snorted that lineup. But now you can perhaps explain how that relates. Like, it wasn't just... He wasn't just a thrill seeker, but that was part of it. I mean, it was, it, what do we learn from the power of his life and, and his willingness to step outside the box, to live by his own rules? Like, have you been motivated and in, in your own life? How, how have you been touched in a way that you want other people to be touched by the John McAfee story? This is going to sound really so, kind of soppy, but, you know, I think the thing that struck me about John is, you know, this is somebody who was a womanizer, self-confessed womanizer. This is somebody who wanted loved, fundamentally wanted loved. And I think the root of his story is in that uh, one way or another. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if everyone knows his, his childhood story. His father committed suicide when he was very young or a teenager, rather. And from that point onwards, John decided that there was going to be no authority figure who would kind of lord over him. But I think everything he did in his life thereafter was in search of something. And I think it was affirmation in whatever form affirmation happened to be available at that time, whether it was business, whether it was women, whether it was this public profile that he created, whereby he, I'm not, I don't want to say that he created drama that wasn't there. But there aren't many people who'd go on the run in, in Guatemala with people chasing you who would a document it on your own blog. You'd be too 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 you'd be trying too hard to stay alive. Not only that, but he got journalists down to to document it all with him. Now, I think that plays into fundamentally what John was all about. John was just a a guy that wanted people to like him. And if that involved a bit of embellishment here and there a bit of dr creating drama that perhaps wasn't as dramatic as it might have seemed. I wouldn't put that past him. That's not to say that there isn't a lot of drama in his life, because that is undeniable. The, the life was full of drama. But I think it came from a place of, of fundamentally quite low self-esteem about his own place in the world. And if anyone has felt like that, and God knows I have, uh, you can't help being motivated by that. When I talk to John every day, I saw it like talking to a father figure. 
Now, mm. that's not to say that I agreed with everything John did. I mean, some of the stuff he did, I didn't agree with. I didn't have to. It wasn't up to me to agree with what he did. All it was for me to do as his sort of biographer or even ghostwriter at that time was to, to, to make sure that his voice was represented on the page. But when you're doing that with somebody like that, you want to relate to them. You have to relate to them. It makes for better material in the end, at the end of the day. Uh, and I found myself putting the, the, the Skype call down at the end of the day and really feel, feeling like I'd learned something. The way he thought about life that, that could do me a lot, a lot of favors. And I think anyone reading that book, I, I challenge anyone who reads this book to not find something about John McAfee's life that motivates them to try and be better at something. And if you can, if you can tell a life story that does that, I think you're halfway there. Mm. So your book is available on Amazon. Uh, I mean, I, this is, I, I want to encourage people to check this out. Uh, a lot of our audience members are going to try to find it for free or cheaper online. Is there somewhere else you'd recommend getting a hold of this? Uh, you got a 28. I, it's a beautiful cover. I'm going to pay $28. And, and one of these days I'm going to get you to sign this for me. But um, is, is, there, is there a more accessible way for people to get your book? Just, just to let you know, uh, that, that publication date is flexible at the moment for obvious reasons. People are always saying to me, hey, why can't you release it sooner or release it next week or next month? It's not as simple as that. I really wish it was. Publishers have schedules. They've got printing schedules. We're trying our hardest to bring it up. And when we can, it may be that the price will, uh, the price will change. All I would say is that if you pre-order, you will get the lowest price that ever hit. So if ever hits $17 or $20, you will get that price, no matter okay. if you pre-order it at a higher price. So just keep a lookout in the publication date. It may be fluid. I can't say anything definitive, but it may be. Yeah, so I realize you're on pre-sales right now or pre-orders, but I didn't see release December 21. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. That was, is that, the, is that that was the original publication. The, oh, uh, okay, so that was the original publication date based on John being alive and you being able to do a bunch exactly. more to the process. And exactly. so the publishing deal, contract, everything else is still set to that date. It's just sort of like, well, now you're done with the John side of things and just – is the manuscript – Yeah, they're, 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 they're trying everything they can. The manuscript has another chapter to write, obviously, and that's what I'm yeah. doing at the moment – uh, it's going to take the form of an afterword kind of postscript, and that that's what I'm doing at the moment. But that publication date may well end up being earlier. Well, um, you know, Mark, uh, I hate to sound even <laughs> more uh, uh, just a, a, afraid of the, the the most gruesome of possibilities here, but I, I hope you have a dead man switch set up for this book. I hope you have copies of your manus manuscript on other servers with other people in case something ever happens to you that this story gets out because they just killed someone to keep this story from getting out. And it wasn't just to keep this story from getting out. I'm not trying to oversimplify or misattribute. Uh, I, I think John McAvee was, was murdered because they didn't want him on stage on trial in the United States. I, I think that's the primary motivation I know there, there are several other likely potentials with dead man switches and information not getting out, but uh, that seems to me like the simplest explanation right now. 
And even if that's the case, part of it is they don't want his story to be told. John McAfee has factually led an undeniably inspiring life that would motivate a lot of the sheeple to step out of the middle of the herd, would it not? Of course. Yeah, and on all kinds of different dimensions, not just to do with taxes, to do with living, thinking about life. People who don't think about life uh, outside of any normal convention could do, could, could do a lot worse than reading this book and learning about how John McAfee thought about life. So Mark Eglinton was chosen by John McAfee for this project. He is a credible author, and I would ask you if, 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 it's, uh, if, if it's convenient for you to support John McAfee posthumously, support his story getting out there, help build some buzz around this book, go ahead and pre-order it on Amazon. $28. It's a beautiful cover. Um, it's going to be an um, amazing read, obviously, um, and, and I think as much as John McAfee's life was critical to human progress, his story being told um, as the John McAfee tapes through the pen of Mark Eglinton may play a, a critical role in motivating and inspiring uh, the next generation to, uh, to live a little more McAfee. Exactly. You've, you've summed it up, my friend. Thank you very much. Well, Mark, thanks for being on the show. Um, anything else you want to plug or any final thoughts, sir? Not all. Really appreciate it. Go out and go out and pre-order. I, I, I should say at this point, I am still mourning John's loss. Uh, I, you know, I don't particularly want to be sort of pumping a book when a man has passed away because he is a man. People forget he was a human being. He has children, uh, but at the same time, I know that he wanted this story told. And the only way that I can make sure that story is told is by encouraging people to buy the book. So I want to make it clear what my motivations are. My motivations are, yes, you know, there's a book out there. I can't I can't change the fact that there's a product coming. But at the same time, it's his story. Uh, I made a promise to him to make sure it got told. And, and that's what I'll do. So just clarifying that. Absolutely. Well said. And, and uh, his, his surviving wife, also a friend of mine, Janice McAfee, uh, I, I hope, if not uh, just indirectly, maybe directly helped by this, but certainly for her and her legal struggles and being uh, for the community behind John McAfee pursuing justice. She's the tip of the spear unavoidably right now, her and his lawyers in Spain looking into this. And the more attention is, that is called to their story in this case, the more likely they are to be triumphant. So, Mark, thank exactly. you for your work and, and, and for taking it as seriously as it deserves to be. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Let's get, uh, let's check in with, uh, with Steve real quick here. I know that was, whew, that was kind of heavy, but uh, really cool that it's happening. Um, I, I hope when I get murdered by the FBI, someone writes a book with a really fancy looking cover like that about me. Um, Psychic Taxi weighing in. This has been a great interview. Thank you. That's Ed on Twitch. Steve, anything else from the comments? Uh, so, um, that bad dude corn pop. So, for the comment contest, that bad dude corn pop. Uh, favorite video game squad and DayZ. Uh, DayZ because it's open world sandbox gameplay with no rules. It's kind of got an anarcho libertarian feel to it. So, um, I think I have DayZ on my computer. I've just never played it. So, you want to know what else? 
has a kind of a liver anarcho libertarian feel to it. Uh, insert bad joke here. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Steve, any any other any comments on uh, LP drama, or is it kind of faded now as we watch this play out? Nobody really cares. I mean, uh, honestly, I think we're all just. I don't think anybody cares anymore. All right, you want to remind people of the comment contest today? We got 20 minutes left, and we're going to come back to Steve for a winner. Yeah, so comment contest is, what is your favorite video game and why? Um, probably probably a little hard to, to focus on a comment contest after that intense interview. So, um, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I encourage people to share their thoughts on John McAfee as well. Um, I always like Marble Madness, a simple but fun race game. That's what, you know, there is something fun about a racing simulation that is like unique to video games where it's like you, you're, you're controlling a machine anyway, you know, might as well have digital graphics on the glass. Um, I, there was, what was the racing game I used to play in, uh, theaters in California? It was like an arcade game that you actually like sit, you actually have a steering wheel, and and a, and, a, and pedals um and a shift knob if if you wanted to run it as a manual what was yeah. that it was like cal huh yeah cruising usa yeah maybe it was cruising usa that was a but that was different because it was like it was a it was a dry a full physical like driving simulator at least Listen, if we ever go to an arcade together you put me in the driving games i'm stupid good at them <laughs> see that's what would get me but so so even with that, I go, dude, I got three miles of private dirt road between me and the pavement, and I got a four-wheel drive with 33-inch tires on it. Shit, man. This like I get this is like better than video game driving every day, and it's real. Yeah. Uh, and if I wanted to go off-roading and just play around out here, like if I felt like it, I could do that, it'd be real. But uh, then, I, then I played uh, Mario Kart. I have to say, I went through a period I was a bit of a sucker for Mario Kart. And then, um, what was what was the uh, Tamagotchi? Or no, not Katamari Damachi. <laughs> I mean, everybody also Tamagotchi's had a Tamagotchi. Head. I'm saying everybody also had a Tamagotchi phase, so I guess that's accurate to you no but it was it was when i got back from a rock and i would get stoned once a month in between drills and it was the best stoner game you're running through a world and just like snowballing objects that stick to each other to make the biggest ball you can um adam's ball of course is legit thanks matt matt's been out here yeah yeah you can uh, well oh, wait matt was in the car when i raced the uh the silverado out here uh, Joey Lay fucking love arcades. We need arcade in Gardenia. We could, we could, we could put it in an arcade here if that's how you want to go with it. The other, the other one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but only the arcade version. There's something about standing up to play it. Anyway, um, I don't know. I, thoughts on John McAfee though? If anybody's got serious comments or, um, you know, ways that I need to protect myself right now, we're we're uh open to suggestions there too all right go away steve we're gonna hit the quick second half of our stack in 10 minutes associated press apnews.com fallout continues from biggest global ransomware attack the single biggest ransomware attack yet continued to bite monday as more details emerged 
on how a Russia-linked gang breached the exploited software company. The criminals essentially use the tool that helps protect against malware to spread it globally. Thousands of organizations, largely firms that remotely manage the IT infrastructure of others, were infected in at least 17 countries in Friday's assault. Kaseya, whose product was exploited, said Monday that they included several just returning to work. Because the attack by a notorious Our Evil gang came just as a long 4th of July weekend began, when many more victims were expected to learn their fate when they returned to the office Tuesday. I guess we'll be covering that again. From Daily Mail, really fun story, but kind of a weird one. Family of black bears with disease that makes them fearless swim and sun themselves alongside stunned beachgoers in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Get the video up on screen for this one, Jim. Large adult black bear and her three cubs visited a South Lake Tahoe beach last weekend. To beat the heat as temperatures soared to 90 degrees on June 27, the family of bears made the most of their surroundings with three cubs, excuse me, wrestling in the water. One quick-thinking beachgoer managed to film them playing amongst themselves before sunning on the beach to dry off. So it's still apparently very dangerous, but um, what are they suffering from? What is making this happen? An increasing number of bears in the region are suffering from encephalitis or inflation of the brain, causing them to act dog-like and friendlier to humans. Still doesn't sound very safe. Yeah. Um, all right. Wall Street Journal. Supermarkets are stockpiling inventory as food costs rise. Grocers are setting aside larger amounts of frozen meat, sugar, and other items to protect profits ahead of anticipated price increases. So it's interesting to see just one more inflation indicator that there's a point of uh, such a sudden surge that grocery stores are factoring it in to their purchase orders and stockpiling at the individual store level. So just because you see, <coughs> and prices, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> prices are still going up. So we're going to see more of this. And they're not like, oh, we've got a huge stockpile, sales, discounts. No. Now, from Washington Post at MSN.com, really fun story. Um, a man who went on a racist rant gave out his address and said, come see me. More than 100 protesters did. So what's interesting, uh, a man who police say, well, police said it, yelled racist slurs in front of a residence in Mount Laurel, New Jersey on Friday, gave out his address to a person filming him and then challenged them to visit his home. Quote, bring whoever. So the video apparently shows Matthews repeatedly calling his black neighbor the N-word and a monkey. It went viral and protesters started showing up at the address listed in the video. Now, one of the things that was most infuriating about this is in the original video, there was a cop involved. So what? where is it? I want to say... Um, one of the most infuriating things 
the video appears to show Matthews approaching one of his neighbors and repeatedly getting into the man's face. The unidentified neighbor who was black tells Matthews to leave, but Matthews argues that he has a right to stand in front of the house and does not leave. Learn your laws. It's not Africa. The man replies, I was born in America. Now, here's the thing. A police officer shows up minutes later and asks Matthews to go back to his house. As Matthews continues to scream racial epithets, the police officer says, cut it out, dude. Tia Brown, a protester at Matthews' house, saw the video and said it was the police officer's lax attitude that angered her. They had a conversation with him like it was nothing. Likewise, Mount Laurel Police Department was criticized for not acting on complaints it received in the past about Matthews, a police spokesman who did not return phone calls from the Washington Post late Monday, told the Inquirer that there had not been enough evidence to bring charges in the past. We understand the frustration, uh, the department spokesman said. The perception was that we did nothing about it. We were do we're doing the best we can. But here's the thing is that later, because the crowd showed up, they actually arrested the guy. Um, let me find the part of the story. Uh, here it is. With a line of police officers guarding his house, Matthews briefly emerged during the protest and tried to apologize. The Inquirer reported, but protesters remained livid as he faced charges for his behavior in the video, including harassment and bias intimidation. Police later escorted Matthews out of his home with his hands behind his back. So... In order to de-escalate, they charged him. Now, like, harassment is a, a, a vague charge. It's a, it's a very bad one from a justice perspective. You harassed me by protesting in front of my business where I'm doing something you don't like. Well, you have a right to do that. It's harassment that's righteous and legitimate, and you have a right to do under freedom of speech, you know, uh, if it's something that's that, that's more targeted, where it's biased intimidation and it's threatening, it's attempting to control someone else's behavior through not direct violence, but a threat of violence, that's definitely a NAP violation. And so if that's what was happening in the video earlier, and the cops should have said, yeah, what you're doing is a NAP violation. Um, I, I got to arrest you and charge you for this. You're you're using threats to intimidate your neighbor. I'm going to be gentle about it, sir. Oh, you're going to you know, get your stuff, go into your home. I'm going to watch you if you want. We're going to make this convenient. I'm going to cuff you, book you. You'll be released. But you're going to face charges for biased intimidation because that's a crime with the victim. Instead, what did the cop do? The cop said, cut it out, dude, and left the scene. What did he go do? Revenue more or revenue generation for the state, issue more traffic tickets and busting people for drugs. Forget the real victims here. And that's what's so fucked up about the police state. You could be a victim, the police are there, and they say, well, it's not profitable enough for us. Put it out, dude. All right. International censorship. Twitter from Associated Press. Twitter restricts account of expert who mocked. China leader. And this is New Zealand. New Zealand. A New Zealand academic says Twitter temporarily restricted her account after she mocked Chinese President Xi Jinping. University of Canterbury professor Anne-Marie Brady is an expert on China's attempts to exert 
political influence around the world and has been an outspoken critic of its ruling Communist Party. Last week, she sent tweets poking fun at the party's 100th anniversary celebrations. She said two of these tweets were marked temporarily unavailable by Twitter, and her account was temporarily temporarily restricted over the weekend, but restored on Monday. Twitter did not say what prompted its actions. Now, I want to let's be empathetic with Twitter for a second here, right? Because Twitter uh, is is sort of forced by governments to maintain certain standards of censorship that are more in line with government policy than with what's actually in the best interest of health and safety and, and, and protecting people on their platforms. Now, why is this an important story followed up to the last one? Well, you had a video of someone going on a racist rant, calling somebody the N-word and threatening violence, committing a crime. Well, you can't post that on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter because that's racism. That's, that's a violation of their terms of service. How much racism is being swept under the rug by social media companies and how much of that is by government basically forcing their hand? So it's, it's kind of a scary possibility here. And so when Twitter says we can't or isn't say can't say what prompted its actions, um, I, I have to think that uh, there's some calculus with Twitter responding to a swarm of complaints over this tweet and it carrying a threat from the Chinese government behind it. So what there's there's definitely more to this behind the scenes. Related stories shared here, Edward Lucas, a columnist for the Times newspaper in Britain, wrote that it probably resulted from an online campaign of complaints by Communist Party agents, which would have triggered an automatic response from Twitter while it investigated. See? And this is, so this is the danger with social media platforms uh, not embracing a new high-tech internet-based means of content control or management for public safety. Because if my neighbor is racist and saying evil shit about me and someone they knew in middle school reports it to Facebook, I never find out that my neighbor is racist and hates me. And I never get to deal with that. It's, it's a very dangerous paradigm. And I hope it's one that's coming to an end. So we have to demand transparency. I mean, even from someone like Twitter, and it sucks because you can't. And maybe the answer is support their their competitors. But again, I don't think the blockchain-based social media is ready. And it's not because we don't have the technology or the effort of the market demand. I think there's been enough deliberate sabotage of those competitors because there's so much money in Facebook and Twitter, not just in those companies themselves, but in the governments around them that are able to manipulate them for their interests to pay off their sponsors and serve their primary purpose of the rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us. From CBS Bay, uh, SF Bay Area, KPIX 5, Oakland streets erupt into 12 hours of nonstop chaos, homicides, shootings, sideshow violence. Yeah. Uh, crazy. The 4th of July reeled into 12 hours of nonstop chaos Sunday night with several victims wounded by celebratory gunfire, a homicide, and a massive sideshow marred by gunfire. The night culminated at the sideshow where more than 200 participants pelted officers with de debris and flashed them with handheld lasers. 
Wow. Yeah. You should live in a city. From InfoWars, and I, I hate this headline. It says, Biden kneels before Israeli president, pledges unconditional support to Israel. Now, technically, both of these statements are true. Now, did he kneel before the Israeli prime minister or president? Yes, but according to this article, it actually makes it look like it was a joke uh, kneeling in honor. The Israeli paper... Kippa.co claimed on Friday that Biden knelt in honor after being told that Ravitz has no less than 12 children. I can imagine Joe telling a dumb joke. Oh, you've got 12 children. Oh, I got to take a knee to that. Good for you. Right. And, and it's just Joe being, being a, you know, schmoozy politician. Uh, But he also then did go and say, quote, my commitment to Israel is known and engraved in the rock. Yeah. And includes an unquestionable commitment to Israel's self-defense. I can say that Iran will never receive nuclear weapons on my watch. But Israel will. Um, no, so that's the problem. But I, I just, I, there, Alex Jones, Infowars.com puts the superficial kneeling before the substantive uh, actual meaningful support in the tune of billions of dollars every year for to the tune of billions annually for Israel. Remember, foreign aid, stealing from poor people in rich countries to give to rich people in poor countries. Canadian news up next, the postmillennial.com. Keystone Pipeline Company seeks $15 billion from Biden administration over project cancellation. Of course, of course. Why wouldn't they try this? CC Energy alleges that President Biden violated NAFTA free trade obligations by blocking the pipeline's permit back in January. Finally, good activism story from Nebraska.tv. Mercedes shared in the Producers Club, Aurora teen fighting to end child marriage in Nebraska. And I was like, wait. Child marriage is a thing in Nebraska? Journey Noise from Aurora has been a Girl Scout for years and said she, as she enters adulthood and heads off to college, she wants to use what she's learned in the program to help other young women in the state. She said she's currently working on getting the Girl Scout Gold Award, the highest achievement in the organization, and her topic is fighting child marriage. Quote, it all started a couple of years ago. I heard about it through another thing in Girl Scouts. I was doing a commission on the status of women and one of the works or like helpers, volunteers that was like advocating with us throughout this entire process was like, hey, you guys should look up child marriage in America. It's a lot more common than you may think. Yeah. And she was shocked. And so I looked it up and I looked specifically at the laws in Nebraska. And I was just kind of appalled that children could still get married here in Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's still a thing. I don't know if it's America's biggest problem, but uh, I'm glad that she found a reason to work on it. Steve, actually, no, give us the uh, give us the producer notes, Jim. What's and going sing, on? Sing, sing smoke weed every day for me. Sing smoke weed every day. Okay, well, just so you know, everybody, you can join uh, t.me forward slash Adam versus Amanda. Tell her. I don't have audio. Best nonprofit you can. Are, am I back? I think I'm yeah, back. You're from audio from audio audio I somebody called me with, from a number that was literally zero 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 zero. So it's the government interrupting my shit. Thanks, asshole. Anyways, homefrontbattlebuddies.com, the best veterans nonprofit. All of your 
uh, donations there are tax deductible. So definitely take advantage of that. Instagram, the tag is at the Garden of Freedom. You can find all the pictures and videos of everything going on up there. The Crypto6.com is where you can donate to uh, the Bitcoin church that was rated up in Key, New Hampshire. And GoGreenEnergyOnline.com is the best website for do-it-yourselfers looking to learn more about Go Green Energy Offline. All you need is love and a dog. Have a great day, everybody. All right, and it was on this day in 2006, according to goodnewsnetwork.org, that an ancient pass on the Silk Road between India and China sealed during the Sino-Indian War reopened for trade after 44 years. And uh, it was on this day in 1916 that Uncle Sam was born. He was first officially depicted as an elderly man with white hair and goatee. Appropriate symbol for an empire in decline, if I do say so myself. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.